Check out award-winning Johnson & Boone Solicitor's unique product, Legal Guard. Ideal for businesses and individuals, Legal Guard ensures you get the legal help you need when you need it. Packages start from just £24 a month and include free expert advice, access to a library of legal documents, as well as exclusive discounts on a range of services. For more information, visit johnsonandboone.co.uk forward slash legal guard and quote the code FITCHESH. Just a quick apology. For some reason, there were some technical issues when recording this episode, which has left a irritating buzzing in the background, which we weren't able to get rid of in post-production. We have now resolved the issue, so it shouldn't happen again in the future. Uh, if you could bear with us for this episode and perhaps look past our misdemeanor, it would be much appreciated. You're listening to Johnson & Boone Solicitors Podcast exclusively on the Pod Station. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Johnson & Boone Podcast where each week we pick a topic which is within the realms of the expertise of the Johnson & Boone team chew the fat on it and hopefully give you some tips that either might help you avoid uh, said topic situation or if you do find yourself in that situation hopefully to point you in the direction of either resolving it or worst case scenario getting some advice from the Johnson and Boone team um, to minimize the effects that that may have on your life your personal life or your business whichever it is um, with me this week he hasn't been on for a while. Um, it's Mark Johnson. How are we doing, Mark? Yeah, I'm not too bad. It's not too bad, yourself. I'm not too bad. Are you going to be going for the hat trick ball that uh, that we we nearly got last week with Jonathan? Um, possibly. It's depending on what what we got for next week. And I believe Rob wants to do it again next week. All right. Okay. So there's a queue. Got you. Yeah. Well, it's understandable. If you don't know who Rob or Jonathan are, then you can actually listen to some of the shows they've done previously. Uh, you'll find them on the johnsonandboon.co.uk website. There's a podcast tab. Um, if you go on there, you'll actually find links to all of the other major podcast platforms where you can find this show. If you subscribe, it downloads the device that you use to listen to your podcast, so you're constantly up to date as soon as the latest show drops. Alternatively, if you download the Johnson & Boon mobile app, um, you can find the podcast up there and listen to it just as easily. Um, there's a whole host of other really, really good benefits that you can get on the app from uh, being able to book an appointment with the likes of Mark, um, checking out the services, staying up to date with all the latest news and tips within their areas. Um, or alternatively, you can access the Legal Guard account that you undoubtedly will have. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, Go back and listen to the episode we did with Rob where we went through all the amazing benefits that you actually get from that. Uh, you can also check us out on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, if you want to drop any questions, any comments, you can do it on those platforms. Alternatively, if you want to email info at johnsonandboon.co.uk, that's just as acceptable. Um, 
if you want to suggest a topic that you'd particularly like us to cover, um, that's another good one. Uh, and also, if you do enjoy the show, if you have found it useful, please give us a review on whichever platform you use. It helps people see the show a bit better if you like and share it with your friends, your family, your business contacts. It just means it might help somebody else as well. Uh, and a little bit of goodness, a little bit of world harmony right at this moment in time wouldn't go amiss, would it, Mark? No, definitely not. It's certainly a confusion and unusual time. So um, what topic is it that we're going to be talking to you about today, Mark? We're going to talk about relief from sanctions applications. Okay, so uh, that's a phrase that I'm familiar with because I've heard it once upon a time. Who knows? I've never had to deal with it, of course. Um, it's a, a, a phrase that you're familiar with, obviously, because you're an expert in litigation. Uh, but... What what do we mean by relief and sanctions for the benefit of people who probably aren't familiar with that phrase? Um, so just in short, basically once you've initiated proceedings um, and the court provides directions of or orders that you must follow, it's if you haven't complied or failed to do what they've asked you to do, um, it's basically making an application to be allowed back into the process itself. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, I, I suppose we should. Uh, I suppose it's useful to explain that uh, once upon a time, when I when I first started in this industry, um, the court were quite relaxed. If you didn't necessarily get it on time, it wasn't the end of the world. As long as the other side didn't mind. Um, if you were really rubbish with the timetables um, or something got missed, you got a little prompt from the court just letting you know you needed to do something about it, which was usually in the form of an unless order, which was unless you do this, we're going to do that. Or in most cases, if you don't pay the court fee on time, um, we're going to throw your case out. It's changed dramatically over the last sort of five years where the court took a... <sighs> for want of a better phrase, a no-nonsense stance. So the timetable is yeah, the timetable is there, and if you don't adhere to that timetable, they just strike the case out, and you have to try and ask for permission to start the case again Yeah. in order to uh, do it. Yeah, or at least get back to the same point that you were at before you know, we strike it out, and it's obviously in your client's best interest and obviously get back in on what kind of situations might you find yourself in where this is something that's relevant? What's likely to have happened in cases? Because, I mean, we're, we're to, I'm talking to this as you who deals with cases as a, a solicitor on a day-to-day basis, but of course there'll probably be litigants in person who will be dealing with this who won't be as familiar but might very well find themselves in this situation. Yeah, so it may be a case of you being ordered to file a witness statement detailing the claim, say by well, say by the sixteenth of October, but you had say for whatever reason you haven't got around to doing it. Usually the deadline for filing anything is four PM. Um or say as you said earlier, paying a call fee. Um if you haven't done it, if they even if you paid or filed it at five past four, the court would class that as late. And if they're being really strict as they are nowadays, they just strike the claim out. Um, and they wouldn't allow you back in unless you made the application for the relief from sanctions application. So it tends to be if you've got deadlines to do something, whether it be paying fees, disclosing documents, filing things, 
just general. Now, you mentioned, and that this is probably quite an important point to focus in on, on deadlines. So you use the example of the 16th of October is when it's got to be um, served. But when, when we say served, we mean something slightly different to what Joe Blogs in the street might think. Because some people on the street might think, oh, as long as I've, I've put it in the post box on the yeah. 16th of October all's well that's not what we mean is it no so the courts have to be in actual possession of it um so i mean you can email it as long as you've got the um the automated response that you get back that they'll class that as being filed and served and the defense depends on how you send it to the defendant um obviously if you send them by post services obviously the day after the day you've sent it um but again email and it's always best to email it and have read receipts or signed for post anything like that. That obviously that would be deemed served. And we've mentioned the civil procedure rules previously. It's again something if you're dealing with the case on your own, you need to become familiar with the section which specifically deals with um, service of documents because they do have a table, don't they, which sets out what type of uh, form of delivery you are using and how long it's it's deemed to take before it serves so first class post is it two working days is it hand delivered so it's the next working day provided it's before four pit so people can read that and make sure that whichever form of delivery they choose to use they're going to still fall on time using that calculation yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, so which which rule, because of course the civil procedure rules, well, put it this way, if you try and pick up the book version, it gives you a hernia, it's that big. Uh, so which part of the civil procedure rules is it where you would actually find the section that will guide you and give some information on what we've just mentioned? Um, part 6 within the, the civil procedure rules, um, I think it's 6.9, the taxi details obviously the table as you explained earlier go and check it out people because it, it will make a massive difference because this is a right roll pain in the ass isn't it this whole this whole yeah. process if you find yourself in this situation there's two things you've got to you've got to bear in mind the first one is your case might not get reinstated in which case you've got a real headache there as to what you do next and if it is to be reinstated because you have just procedurally slipped slightly um then you're still going to be paying a load of money, aren't you? And I guess that's the question. How, how much do these sorts of applications cost just to make? We'll come on to what it's likely to cost, even if you're successful later on. I mean, even as a minimum, there's a £255 court fee, um, to, which you have to put with, with your application before the court will even pass it to a judge to consider and can you get the other side to agree in, in, in advance of this? Would that reduce the application fee or would they? Yeah, I mean, you can do, you can do it by consent, um, which you can obviously file a consent order and then it's only it's £100. Um, and if you if the other side are really considerate in it, they, they may even say, well, we'll split it 50-50. That's highly unlikely, but it, it can happen that way. Because, of course, the other side are going to be disinclined to want to help you reinstate the case even if they think it's likely that you probably will on the off chance that you don't in which case that's one less headache they've got to deal with yeah i mean even usually it depends on how they are but the courts see that courts frown upon 
this year is advantageous behaviour from the from the defendants, especially if they're checking to see whether you've filed or paid or anything that you had to do. If they continually do that, the courts frown upon that as well. So uh, when you say about frowning, I guess that that leads me on to the next question, which is, what are the prospects of successfully getting relief? So what what were the chances of getting your case reinstated and and what sort of situations arise where the court might look unfavourably upon the other side for not giving you a helping hand, being opportunistic as it were? Yeah, so in order to satisfy a relief from sanctions, you have there's a there's a three stages test which we call the Denton test. Um it comes out of the case of Denton V T H White. Um so you have to identify the seriousness of the breach. Um, the second test is consider why the failure happened. Um, and the third is to evaluate all all circumstances. So why did the breach occur? Um, was there, how has it affected all the parties? Um, the courts don't like, the, like as I said earlier, if the other side are constantly calling, say every hour on the hour, has this been filed, has this been filed, has this been filed? Um, there has been circumstances where the court, where they've actually told the other side have told us that, that that's what they did, um, and obviously you can supply those evidence in your application and say they are being opportunistic. They could have just told us that we needed to file it. If we had it done, we would have filed it or paid or whatever you've been ordered to pay or ordered to do by the court. Um, obviously, they don't they don't like the fact that the other side trying to be opportunistic because it goes against the overriding objective of the CPR, which is not to prejudice any party. I mean, Johnson & Boone have a, 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 a quite sophisticated case management system, so there is a diary system in place yeah, which course, which yeah. picks up on court timetables. So these are rare situations in, in, in your cases, perhaps with litigants in person who either don't realise the severity of missing a deadline or perhaps don't diarise it and forget or or don't diarise it and forget, um, they, they they might find themselves in these situations a bit more. I suppose if it's a, a minor administrative error, so the, you have to pay a court fee by the 1st of November, the 1st of November comes and goes, you realise on the 2nd of November, crikey, I need to pay that, you get it paid, it's too late because it's deemed late by the court, you get struck out, uh, you need to now ask the, the court to reinstate it, you go to the side and look, would you would you agree to this by way of consent? I missed the payment by a day, it was just an administrative oversight. Um, and if they say no, I mean, are they likely to be frowned upon or, or are the court likely to be a bit more? Does it depend on who's doing it? If it's a litigant in person, will they be a bit easier on them? Whereas if it's a professional? Yeah, so obviously if it's a litigant in person, obviously the, the CPR says they are to be treated as the same as a professional. But, but if it was for the sake of me, the court would see it as a more serious breach because I obviously, as you say, you should diarise everything, you should know. Obviously, what's up to resolutely in person may not know that. They may just see it as earlier on, it's a guideline. We need to do X, Y, and Z. Um, but it would definitely be would definitely be frowned upon to not consent when it's really, it, as you say, it's only a day late. It doesn't really prejudice any, and it doesn't change any of the other timelines within any of the other directions. So, really, it's in the best interest of the parties just to accept that and allow it to allow a consent order or 
even not even raising an issue really it's just as you say provide the consent order and then avoid the extra costs of the application itself you've been through the denton principles there i mean how easy is the application to prepare uh, one assumes you have to come at it with a relative amount of uh, aggression and be quite yeah. comprehensive in your approach because essentially you, you, your case no longer exists at this point. You are kind of fighting for your life to get the case reinstated, even if it is a minor admin breach. I don't think you can possibly rely upon that too comfortably and become a bit blasé, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if it's not considered as a as a as a serious breach, it's the but it, the. The term of the serious breach is obviously down to the court to consider whether they do think it's as serious. But if it's, say, it's a slight out admin error, you don't have to focus as much on the other two principles, but you still have to obviously cover them enough to make sure the judge does see the point. It's not serious enough to prejudice, the, obviously, the claim itself and strike it out. And if it's only the first... If it's only the first instance, then there's nothing to say that you can, you're not going to comply further on anyway. Does the application need to have some evidence that comes with it? What kind of evidence would you realistically need to put together to support these kind of an applications? Yeah, so anything. So, say for argument's sake, you file, you said, send a document to the defendant. They say, I haven't got it. And if you send it by email, you'd have to show the email address. Obviously, the email exhibited in the the statement um, if you pay the call fee a receipt can you paid it um, or the cause of delivery any signed signatures anything that you show anything to show that you've t- you have you've tried your best to comply so if you phone the courts and say say for argument take their card machines down they can't take the payments over the phone anything that you can show that you have made a willingness to actually comply with the order but for whatever reason haven't been able to and one assumes if you're struggling for evidence because, I mean, if you've forgotten the deadline, then there's going to be no evidence of anything because you haven't done it. I guess it's perhaps providing some sort of explanation as to why it is that you might have missed this deadline or or not realised. Yeah, like, as I said, where it comes in as the, the principle of the application itself, the, all, all the circumstances show what's the reasoning behind it and second ones to why the breach happens was was it a, a misheaded in your diary system or was it just a technical fault that you could that you just couldn't have complied so i don't know saying you've been taken into hospital it's unlikely that you can comply with a court order if you went into hospital today you couldn't file anything tomorrow not really uh they, they would consider all that before simply saying no you can't you can't come back in if you don't win this application, what does it mean? So if you then say for whatever reason the court say no, you can't have relief. That means that basically your claim's been dismissed, um, and you'd have to start again. Now it may be a case of the defendant's brought a counterclaim against you, and it may be your claim's been dismissed, but the counterclaim continues. So you'd still have to defend the counterclaim, but you wouldn't have the security of your claim that you potentially have to start your claim again. I mean, it gets quite messy, doesn't it? If yeah. you lose these applications. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's usually always best just to have a diary to make sure you comply. It, it saves, it does save again messier later down the line. And uh, we mentioned at the outset it can get quite pricey as well. Uh, if you do lose, what's the likelihood of 
there being a further financial penalty? Well, as I say, it, obviously you can come down. They, as I said, yeah, they have to have a counterclaim, and if they win for whatever, say it could be several thousand pounds, whilst you may have lost, you may have thought you have a claim against them. You'll have paid your two five two hundred and fifty five pound regardless to put your application in, and then you could have a, you, you could still end up with a county court judgment against yourself for the for the other side's claim. And might you end up paying their costs for the application? Definitely, yeah. Which if they've got another solicitor on the side, you it's probably going to be another couple, at least a thousand, roughly a thousand pound, probably paying their costs as well, which obviously doesn't help anyone there either. And what if you win? What what happens if you win? Now, if you win and say there has been say foul, what say foul behaviour from the other side, say they haven't complied or haven't consented when they should have, you can be awarded the costs for your application as well. But simply, if if you do win your relief from sanctions application, your claim can proceed further back. You end up going back to the point that you were at. Um, you just move on to the next deadline that you had. So if you were, say it was the pay the trial fee and nothing else was, com- you'd complied with everything else and you had to pay your trial fee and you paid it but had to make your application, you'd just go to the stage of you'd be gearing up to your trial then um, and you'd just proceed as if it didn't happen. And if you haven't complied with it, the, the order from the court does usually require you to put right what it is that's got you in this situation in the first place. And then yeah. allows you to continue, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, the, another point to note is when considering the application, you have to do it swiftly. Um, it's usually so. If, as you made the example there, you paid the hearing fee the next day, you'd have to make. Ideally, you'd want to make your application that day and get it into the court as soon as possible. Because the longer you leave it, the less likely the court will consider it, and you won't be granted relief. So if you pay the court fee late, do you automatically assume that your case will be stuck out then? And do you make an application or are you waiting for an order from the court? I mean, it's probably it's probably best to work on the assumption that you have been struck out. Um, and obviously, it's difficult if you're a lit- for a litigant person because they're not, they're not, they don't work in this field. They're not sure what how's best to proceed but it's always best to probably consider the worst because the courts may the, some courts may be more lenient and just let you pay it and consider if you're a litigant person and consider it as not serious but obviously within the professional field of it they, they certainly won't strike you out safe way and you would have to make your application and even if you do win and we mentioned this before, even if we do win, you do quite often find yourself having to pay the other side's costs in addition, yeah. don't you? Yeah, because obviously it's it's not their error. It's obviously yours. So it's almost like a lose. It's all, it's a lose-lose situation, really. Um, obviously, you've had you've been struck out. You mostly have to pay to get back in, and then you've got to pay them anyway just for, just for turning up for them, even though they were probably going to let you... Nine times out of ten, they'll probably consider at the door anyway. I mean, sorry, consent at the door. Um, so it, it's almost like a lose-lose with anyway. Yeah, there's that. My experience has always been there's very few situations where uh, you would get your costs for getting a 
a relief from sanction. It's, it's usually you've done something wrong and you're expecting everyone else to help you out to resolve that problem. And the penalty is both the indignity of having to ask and then <laughs> the financial yeah. implications that then go with it. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's not even that you can add the claim, the cost onto your claim either. Um, and say, well, we paid them, so I want them back. It doesn't work like that either. So I say it's a lose lose situation, really. With it being such an important application, really, if, if you've been stuck out, if you've had a piece of paper land through your post box from the court saying your case has been dismissed because you failed to do this, um, to what extent is the is there an advantage of getting legal help at that point if you are a litigant in person? Or is it, it? does it depend upon the circumstances? Because as you say, if it's a minor clerical error and you're litigant in person, the court might actually be quite lenient with you because you are a litigant in person. If it's something a bit more complex, presumably it definitely serves you better to, to get that expert help. Yeah, I mean, listening in person, they may be a bit more lenient, but... I'd probably say it would probably if you are going to have to make the application, it is probably better to get legal help with it, just because of the comp. It, it it's not. It, it is a fairly complex statement in the way you have to, you have to satisfy the three requirements. And for a litigant person, if they don't know what the requirements are, it's very difficult for them to satisfy them. Um, even for just the the case of it. You've, your witness statement has to be fairly com- fairly comprehensive in terms of going through each stage, saying why it's not a serious breach and saying why you should be allowed back in. Um, and if you don't know how to do it, it is very it's, it's time consuming, and obviously it takes twice as long for the litigant person to obviously to fully satisfy it. If you're not sure, then you don't want to do it wrong and be dismissed for some and further penalty for that. And when I, when I do say, I mean, I suppose I should clarify, when I do say the court might be a bit more lenient, the court always has a general discretion and they can imply that, apply that discretion how they see fit and they wouldn't necessarily hold a professional to the same standards for certain circumstances. But fundamentally, the rules require them to be as strict in applying those rules as they would do against a professional so it doesn't necessarily mean because you're listening in person you'll get a second chance i suppose it's it's mainly minor errors that could happen to anyone whether it be a professional or a litigant in person and perhaps the litigant in person has been a bit slower to try and rectify it because they didn't realize how to to google what to do next and by the time they'd done that another day gone by and then they'd prepared the application but another couple of days had gone by whereas a professional might know instantly prepare the application get it all done that same day i suppose when i say leniency i'm talking more things like that really yeah i mean as you say they, they do have discretion um but obviously it's the process is a lot quicker for someone that's in the legal profession because as you say they, they know what they're doing they know how to do it and obviously it's a lot quicker than having to look it up and going through each stage and really they know how to set the statements out they know how to just cover all the areas that will more than nine times out of ten get allowed for the relief of depending on circumstances behind why the failure happened in the first place how can people get in touch with you if they find themselves in this 
extremely unfortunate situation. They can email us at info at johnsonandburn.co.uk um, or they can find us on our social medias on Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, Instagram, or they can give us a call on 0151 Fantastic. And uh, just to add to that as well, you can also do a, a, a booking on the mobile app, which is very handy. You can just go on there and actually select the people that you specifically want to deal with. So if you want to then speak to Mark or Jonathan, Chris or Rob, you can just select them and happy days. It's all done and dusted. Well, I think we've done relief from sanctions. We're going to go and have a relief from sanctions ourselves, I think, now. Um, come, come the end of a long working day. Uh, <laughs> Mark, yeah. thank you very much for, uh, for joining us today. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Cheers, bye. Get social at Johnson and Boone on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.